I was checking the calendar that I keep and uh, noted that it was about, it, it would be about a year ago this week that the deacons and, uh, and I sat down and said, well, when are we going to get back to church? <laughs> and we uh, read uh, recommendations and prayed and uh, determined uh, what we thought was a safe course of action at the time. And I think it's been, it's proven to, uh, to have been accurate. I'm very thankful uh, that we were able to, to uh, meet as uh, soon after uh, not meeting as we did. I'm thankful for your flexibility and some of the changes that we made to our usual uh, practices. Um, and like Irma mentioned a moment ago, you know, we've, we've come a long way as a country, even compared to where we were a year ago in light of the vaccine and so on. Uh, and, and then some of the some of the distancing uh, precautions that they continue to, to pretty well encourage, we're able to do uh, easier than, uh, than, uh, than larger churches can. The deacons did discuss last week adjusting just one other element, at least making optional one other element, in light of a couple of things, one of which being that one of these days the weather will warm up, right? And we'll, we'll likely move back downstairs at least for a couple of months. With all that in mind, in, in light of the volume of vaccination that's already occurred within the church, uh, we thought we would be in a position where we could say, uh, during our time of worship, uh, uh, masking will be optional. So, um, anyone who would like to continue to wear one throughout the uh, entirety of their time uh, in the church, that is completely up to you. Uh, those that would feel comfortable uh, removing them, that would be left up to you as well. So, um, I think I think uh, uh, that is a, a good step for us, and I hope... Um, Hope is, is good for you. And like I said, whatever you feel comfortable with will be absolutely fine. I will also just again commend you on your flexibility. Uh, I, I was thinking about the fact that because of where I stand and because I think it does sound somewhat muffled to hear somebody talk for an extended period of time with a mask on, I'm the one that wears the mask the least. And, and at my house, that is certainly true. And I'm the one who, believe it or not, gripes about it the most. So... Uh, that all said, i got to work that out on, on my own. I think that I will likely be going back to my office, at least to some degree, uh, here within the next 60 days or so. And then they may want me to wear a mask all the time. Then I'll really have a hill to climb. And Dana will tell me, I climbed that hill a year ago. Get over it and, uh, and, and move on. But anyway, we'll leave, it. we'll leave it at that. One other just little piece of housekeeping. Next Sunday, we will have our quarterly business meeting immediately following our service. We move that on Mother's Day in May to allow you to uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon, hopefully, uh, with those who uh, can honor, honor uh, you as a, uh, as a mother or time with your family. So I think that covers everything I really wanted to, at least at the outset here, we will read now from Luke's Gospel, I don't have this up on the screen. I don't have the, the verse up on the screen. If you'd like to follow along, Luke 13, verse 31, where we, where we read, At that very hour some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, 
Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And then Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God bless the hearing and reading of his word. I was thinking about a question this week. And the question is just four letters or four words long. It could be, though, that the Bible is in part an attempt, all 66 books of the Bible is an attempt to answer this four-word question. There have been a myriad of books written in an attempt to answer this question, some of which probably more successful than others. There have been those who have devoted their entire lives, maybe in a scholarly or research-oriented way, maybe in a life of ministry, maybe in the thinking of a person who is not involved in research or ministry, but a question that likely at some point all of us ask, and the question is this, what is God like? What is God passage from 1 John that Bill read emphasized God is a God of love. In fact, it said, if you want to see if you know God, do you love? Scholars and theologians, though, would file the question, what is God like, under probably the heading, uh, something to the effect of the nature of God. What are those attributes that make God, God? What are those attributes that God takes on that impact how we view God? Now, we should probably be open to the fact and the resignation of our own minds that we will not, at this side of heaven or on this side of heaven, be able to fully capture or encapsulate all that God is. I think it was St. Augustine who said something to the effect of, if you think you fully understand it, it's not God. Hmm? However, the Bible does give us images as to God's nature. Our passage this morning, I think in some ways, serves to broaden maybe a more limited image of God. And maybe our usual understanding of who God is and and what God is, is like. 
Within the verse from Luke 13, the image provided of God is a hen gathering her brood under her wings. We've probably all spent some amount of time sitting on a park bench or standing nearby a body of water and watched geese or ducks. One author reflected on a particular experience that he had in Florida, which really brought to mind this passage and helped him appreciate these verses from Luke's gospel. He wrote that he witnessed a young mother mallard who had a brood of about seven ducklings. And when anyone approached the lake, she, this mallard, became very aware and would gather her little group together and they would all kind of hustle along to hide in the reeds and the brush that surrounded the edge of the lake. And one time, one time as he sat there and watched, someone got really close to try to get a better look. And she immediately flew away. It looked to the author like the mallard was abandoning her young group of ducklings. But he soon realized that that was not at all the case. In fact, she was offering herself as a decoy. She wanted the perceived intruder to notice her and follow her to get the intruder away from her young ducklings. She was fully willing to sacrifice herself in order to protect her young. Jesus' lament recorded in Luke's gospel is the cry of a mother. It's a cry of a mother who is worried. Like a mother, Jesus sees far more clearly than we do at times the dangers that face us. Like a mother, Jesus knew that we tend to overestimate our own power and strength and are prone to go off on our own, leaving the protective wing that he would provide. Like a mother, Jesus chases after us. Like a mother, Jesus' love is so great that all his Consuming passion is to sweep us up into his big protective arms. And although there are others in pursuit of him, even in this very passage where it mentions Herod, Jesus is persistent and committed to those whom he loves. The image or any kind of intimation of God as having maybe what we would consider female attributes can be sort of disconcerting. In fact, several, not, not as much now, but I mean, even when I was in seminary, there was debates about, you know, is it, is it, ever, is it ever appropriate to refer to God with a feminine pronoun? She instead of he. I think I, I would, at least at least in my public speaking and and preaching, I probably somewhat consciously try to limit a specific he. Although, if I use one, I, I use that one. I, I know people and respect 
pastors that are very intentional about highlighting the, uh, the, the, the feminine pronoun even when referring to God. It's just not something that I typically, typically do. We think of God as all-powerful and almighty and, and all-knowing, but here in the passage of, in Luke, we have a different image, a mother hen that Jesus gives himself. A mother hen that is passionate and loving toward her children, wanting to gather them up. And this is not the only place in Scripture where the female image is used to represent God. The prophetic writings of the Old Testament, in fact, include sometimes even the feminine gender for the noun. The image of a protecting bird is also found in Psalms and Deuteronomy. Clearly, God is beyond gender. Right? Like I said, we're not able to fully encompass who God is, and especially in trying to minimize, I think would be the right word, God as to one human gender, or even both, I guess. It seems a uh, frustrating uh, uh, attempt. Hmm. God is beyond that, but God is capable of encompassing and being, and in fact, God represents the very best of the genders that God has created. As we would think of it in maybe kind of the traditional view, the provider and and, uh, and strength of a father, while also the loving, nurturing care of a mother. Passages that use the female analogy for God help us to appreciate the way God longs for all of his children. It reminds us of God's concern for our protection. God's willingness to sacrifice. God's pain at our rejection of the love we're offered. There is something, there is something about the love a mother has for her child. I've talked to other young fathers about the way we have witnessed our wives have this immediate bond with their baby. And we, though probably out of our depths in attempts to try to understand, have realized that a mother has had nine months to form that bond. Nine months in which they are the one on whom the vulnerable, innocent baby is completely dependent. And then the baby is born and the, the daddy is meeting and feeling the baby for the first time. And, and then you've got to give us some time to kind of develop that, that bond, right? I've seen in my own wife, of course, the commitment to our children, so thankful for her. My own mother, 
and the way that she has devoted her life in many ways, both when we were young and now, to being the influence that God has called her to be on us. There is a, at least as God intended, there is something unquenchable about the love of a mother, the persistence that it has. In fact, that too is reflected in the life of the Lord Jesus. The cross itself couldn't stop it. A flock of rebellious children couldn't either. The cross is, of course, the love that God has and witness that the love that God has is so great and so passionate that it is willing to die so that children may live. You know, I recognize that on this day there may be more than a tinge of pain for some. Maybe your relationship with your own mother wasn't all that you hoped it would be. I know some, uh, I, have, I have people in my own extended family for whom this is a day in which babies who were never born or born for a very brief period of time are especially remembered. Mothers who mourn children who are no longer on this earth or women who mourn the fact that they, for whatever reason, are not able to be mothers. And I want to be sensitive to that. I think we talk sometimes around the holidays that in and of themselves, the holidays don't hold any uh, emotion, but whatever emotion you're feeling at the time is just ramped up, right? I think the same is probably true on days like Mother's Day or Father's Day. That if all is great, between your mother or you and your children, it's a great day. If there is something that is not as you would hoped it would be in that relationship, then it can be a day of deep, deep sadness. Maybe that is one of the reasons that Scripture offers the idea that maybe predominantly God as father, but at least secondarily, God as mother as well. that God is capable of meeting us and loving us just where we are. And so whatever, whatever it is that your relationship with your mother was like, we all have one, right? We all have, we all have a mother who is the reason that we, uh, in many ways, arrived on this earth. And for that, we are thankful this Mother's Day for the mother that God has given us. And we pray that we would learn to love one another, whether in our role as mother or father or friend, that we would learn to love one another as God has loved us. Oh God, we do.